I realized that as an Asian American female leader, my attempts to listen actually were consistently interpreted as being passive or being too quiet. Asian American female leaders, as we have these kinds of experiences shifting on the power spectrum, like we add so much value to spaces because we can empathize with those in power as well as those without power. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the 17th episode of When Women Preach. If this is your first time tuning in with us, uh, I just want to iterate that we are a podcast that's all about empowering AAPI and Latina women faith leaders. Usually that means pastors, but um, today we actually have someone who works more in the parachurch world. Her name is Yuli Lee, and she is currently the Senior Director of Staff and Partnerships at Fuller Youth Institute. If you haven't heard of Fuller Youth Institute, I highly recommend you learn more about it um, because they are an amazing organization that really looks at innovative practices for youth ministry. Yuli is currently still an adjunct professor of organizational and change leadership at Wheaton College. Um, I am definitely going to ask Yuli more about that. Um, such a buzzword, but I know that that's something that's truly passionate for Yuli. So I'm excited to hear more about it. And her list goes on and on. Like I am so honored to have her with us today. She's also the founder of the Change Leadership Institute a think tank for change leaders with a mission to convene change agents to share best practices and discern a new way forward. So Yuli, thank you so much for being with us. I know that you're a busy woman now with all of your multiple roles, and I feel very honored to have you on here. Hey, Miriam. It's so great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I also consider this a huge privilege to spend the next several minutes talking with you. So thanks for having me. Thanks so much, Julie. Could you just tell us more about your role with uh, Fuller Youth Institute and how you ended up there? Yeah, um, I would love to share more about that. So I'll say just broadly speaking, whenever I guess I get asked the question of, you know, how did I get called to a specific place? I realize that I'm invited into more than one space at one time. So I think big picture wise, you know, I belong to Fuller Youth Institute, but also several different ministries and organizations and contribute different things in different ways. Mm, and that's very apparent from the bio that I just severed off. Yeah, totally, totally. Uh, but I have the privilege of dedicating most of my time and energy in this particular season to Fuller Youth Institute. And so um, when I was talking to the Fuller Youth Institute staff about this possible job opportunity, I realized that um, this job, being Senior Director of Staff and Partnerships, really brought together my unique leadership, I guess, gifts or traits or however you want to call it, um, in really specialized ways. Mm. And so what I mean by that is, as I was talking to the staff, I realized that I could contribute like First, the first area is like the passion God has placed on my heart, which is leading change. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd be able to contribute to leading change at FYI. I would be able to um, exhibit leadership behavior in the unique ways that God has gifted me in. Mm -hmm. So whether that's developing really great teams or contributing change strategy, like I would be able to 
you know, participate in contributing my unique gifts in these ways. And then the third thing I noticed was that I would have this unique opportunity to contribute to what God's already doing at the Fuller Youth Institute that really like ignited what was already on my heart in terms of what I was convicted about in my own calling, as well as, you know, my own passions for young people and the church and leaders in the church. As I realized that those things were integrating together, like my passion, my unique gifts, and then this opportunity to work specifically for FYI in a unique way, um, you know, I thought, you know what, I feel like this is the right next move for me. Mm, It sounds like you're so self-aware of what God has placed both in your heart and in the skills you have. Most people would label that as like, oh, she has a passion for youth ministry. But then she also, you also have a passion for so many other things. And I know that one of the themes you've talked to me extensively about is change. This word, this buzzword change. Can you tell me more about what change means to you? What does that look like at FYI and maybe other spaces you've been at specifically? Like, Why does that spark so much passion in your heart when you hear that word? Yeah, thanks for asking that question. I would love to hear, you know, how you respond to that word change to me. Would, yeah. 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 But when I think about that word change and leading change, I always think about how to love people better. Mm. Um, because I think the best change leaders love people the most. If we love people um, along the journey of leading change, then we're actually caring for them and stewarding the change process in a way that leads to flourishing. Mm. I think often people experience change in this like top down manner uh, where it's directed at people and you're basically told Mm. to change. Um, And if you don't change, then you need to figure it out or leave the organization or kind of deal with it on your own. Um, But for me, change is a very relational process and it involves loving people and caring about people along the way. And um, yeah, that's what really spurred me to start the Change Leadership Institute is because I personally experienced the horrors of being a recipient of change being led in those more traumatic ways. And I wanted to influence people and organizations to lead change in ways that were actually loving and caring for people. Mm. Yeah. But what about you? Like, do you, what comes to mind when you think about the word change? I think coming out of divinity school and the whole grad school atmosphere in general, I feel like change is this like radical term. Well, sometimes it's not. And that's also a problem too. But change often is used in like rallying people around shifting power dynamics, um, really realizing like the needs of people who are, who need change the most (laughs) and putting them in positions of power. I think power and change go hand in hand. Totally. But I think you brought in this new element of also caring for people. And I think that's something that is also present in the organizing world as well, but maybe not as talked about as much in the media. It's like, oh, we are humans. And like, we do implement change through building relationships with people and loving people authentically. Um, I'm wondering if there is a light bulb that went off in your head. Like at what point did you realize that change should also incorporate these less talked about elements of like love and compassion for fellow humans? Like, was there a memory or experience that you had that just kind of made you think differently about change? 
Yeah, you know, I've been under um, a diverse set of leaders, <laughs> who many of whom were passionate about change. Um, so I had really a front row seat to how different leaders lead change. And, you know, I have a memory of one of those leaders um, kind of understanding change and the change process as this process of fixing people and fixing problems. Now, mm-hmm. I think I think in the change research, there is research that supports, you know, different ways to fix problems in an organization. Um, now, that's mm-hmm. an approach to change is identifying the problems and then figuring out the solutions. Uh, but I was um, exposed to a more positive change process called appreciative inquiry. Mm-hmm. And it approaches change with an abundance mindset. Mm. And it really asks the change leader to discern what change is already happening. Like what are the strengths here in this organization or in this person? And how can we and build upon those strengths and lead change as a strengths-based approach? Mm. And so I don't think so much about people being, um, you know, problems to fix or organizations Mm. being problems to fix. I start with the mindset of, um, okay, this person um, has been created uniquely. This organization has a unique history. So how can I identify those and then work to uplift those strengths, um, motivate change um, in that Mm. strength based way. And I found that people find that very dignifying and motivating and just super exciting. I would say exposure to that particular change uh, process really transformed me. And then meeting the leader who developed that change process. So David Hmm. Cooperwriter is the guy who created that change process. So I met him and was trained under him. And so when I met him and saw his leadership up close and personal, there was an integrity there with like who he Mm. is as a person and human being him as the change leader having integrity in the change process he was advocating for I think that really transformed me um completely in the ways that I lead change and think about it yeah Mm. like both the people and the process are very important That kind of reminds me of a summer internship I did while in divinity school at a church in Mm -hmm. Indianapolis. Um, It was called Broadway UMC. And the pastor, Mike Nader at the time, um, sort of like revamped the summer program they used to have from like offering, you know, like the traditional basketball camps, tutoring to kids to what he called like a more asset-based, like gift-centered way of empowering the community. But basically like he scrapped the program the programming, right? And just gave kids, um, he employed the kids actually, like he gave them funding to go around the neighborhood and talk to their neighbors and learn more about what their neighbors had in terms of their gifts. Like whether they were great cooks, great um, planters, uh, had really cool histories to share. And so the kids had total leeway over like how they used the funds. Um, And I think it was just, this understanding that the kids often felt like their neighborhood was a place to get out of because it was seen as low income, mm-hmm. um, like this, you know, food desert, et cetera. 
but really like the pastor um, worked with the community organizers as well in that neighborhood to help the kids, like not start with the problem, like you said, but start with the gifts the neighborhood already had. And I wonder if he took a a page from like um, David Cooper writer, Appreciative Inquiry. Um, Yeah. yeah, Yeah. That summer was so eye opening. I was like, (laughs) not even allowed to use the word needs in that summer because they were like, we just don't think that um, we should emphasize those things, those needs and see people as like lacking. Yeah. Yeah. That's so great. I love that. Cause it's really asking the question, like, you know, what, what's God already doing here, mm. you know? And like, how can we discern that and not disregard that? But that is our starting place is like God's transformative work that's already taking place. And as change le- leaders, it's our, responsibility, especially Christian ones, to discern that and then have that be our starting place rather than coming in with our own agendas Mm. and um, thinking we know everything about a specific people group or a community and knowing what they need and what they might need to change. So I really like that you had that experience too. That's awesome. Yeah, it was eye-opening and um, it's still not like the most common way I think churches look at community involvement, but I definitely think mm-hmm. there's more awareness and I'm hopeful um, for more emphasis on gifts and um, emphasizing God's abundance, like you said. Yeah. I think we've talked about a lot of abstract uh, concepts like change and um, how God works in those ways, but I'm wondering if, do you have like a concrete example of how one organization mm-hmm. like made those relational and uh, loving gestures to actually implement like real change? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. I have an example of a church um, that I was on staff with and I was not actually in a powerful position in this church, uh, but I was in a coffee shop talking to the senior pastor of this church who, um, you know, he um, was great and I had a good relationship with him, but not everybody had a good relationship with him. Mm. Um, So in my conversation with this pastor, I asked him questions, you know, I said, Hey, what is the, like, what's your strategy for the next five years of our church? And, you know, these questions are questions, maybe not on everyone's minds. And so I recognize that for me, they're questions I'm passionate about. So they come up immediately. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I remember that he didn't really know how to answer uh, these questions about strategy or, you know, Mm -hmm. what our organization was going to, our church was going to look like five years from now, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, in that conversation, I talked to him about, you know, what it would look like to partner up, like if he's willing to like work with me, like I'm passionate about leading change. Um, has he ever thought about introducing like a formal uh, change process that could lead to developing a strategy mm-hmm. for the church? And um, and he said, no, he'd never thought about that, but that sounds intriguing and that he will get back to me in two weeks. <laughs> and <laughs> I thought that he would never get back to me, but he actually did. And we mm-hmm. introduced appreciative inquiry the process that I talked about earlier into this organization. This church had a history of being led solely through his own leadership. So very Mm -hmm. top down, um, hierarchical. And as you know now, appreciative inquiry is um, very people centered, 
thus very collaborative. So it was mm-hmm. super disruptive for this church. Um, but the way that appreciative inquiry engages people, it created so much energy within this church congregation uh, that all of a sudden you saw, like we saw like 10 plus different like working groups of people like volunteering to like work on helping us execute uh, new ideas and put this appreciative inquiry summit together so that we can invite community stakeholders and, you know, do some listening groups and all this stuff. And so um, I did see that church move from one way of operating top down, Mm -hmm. shifting all the way to the other end of the spectrum to being super collaborative, very congregationally led um, and very teams oriented. And it was actually, I mean, it was like a thrill of a lifetime to watch (laughs) that happening before my eyes. Oh, totally. Um, Yeah, yeah. Especially in churches where you just think like, ah, it just won't happen. But this actually happened because you asked. And I actually got to see it. Yeah. I keep in touch with that church. I ask them about updates and things like that. And so uh, I I can still hear the stories of how that process has led to certain things that are happening now, et cetera, et cetera. And so, yeah, I think that's a great privilege Mm -hmm. for me to be able to see it happening, to see the fruit. You know, that's what we all long for is to see the fruit of our labor. (laughs) And not many of us get to see that. But um, yeah, that was super inspiring for me in my own leadership journey, for sure. And it sounds like those people were already thirsting for change. They just needed someone to make the initial ask and that was you and it happened. (laughs) Wow. So inspirational. Yeah. And kudos to the senior pastor too for, For you know, for saying yes Mm -hmm. and for deciding it was right. Now I will say that it was hard. Mm. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Like it was hard for him, but that's his own story to tell. Right. Right. (laughs) Um, But nevertheless, it was a super productive and generative uh, experience. Mm. You know, you're another Korean American woman, right? Yeah. And I feel like a lot of times, uh, like we want change in organizations because we can kind of see the gaps <laughs> that are mm-hmm. there. Um, again, like I don't want to emphasize that like there are problems with organizations, but I feel like as Korean American women or Asian American women or even largely women of color, there are ways that organizations could use our gifts better and emphasize what we offer. And I wonder if there are any experiences um, that relate to your ethnic identity or other identities you might have that relate to your passion for change? Gosh, um, I've learned so much specifically through that lens of being an Asian American female leader Mm. Um, and then being in different contexts. So in the church and then um, in you know, other non-faith-based nonprofits, um, and then in higher education, and then I work for the government, and then all the, you know, different contexts. I think the lens that I always see my leadership through is through this, you know, what it's like as an Asian American female leader. Mm. Um, And it's funny because people in leadership circles often like to say, you know, that good leadership requires listening well to other people. And I totally believe that's true. And I 
try to do that actually in the first six months um, of every organization that I enter into is I, I do my own sort of listening sessions with as many people as I can in an organization. But I realized that as an Asian American female leader, my attempts to listen actually were uh, consistently interpreted as me being unengaged or being passive hmm. or being too quiet. Mm -hmm. um, and so I um, was curious about that. I'm like, okay, well, you know what? I'm like actually practicing really good leadership <laughs> by yeah. listening. And it's interesting to have people see me though and interpret that as being passive and not a good listener mm. um, or not as a leader who is a good listener. Another example that I have in from my experience is that when I uh, tend to share a perspective or an opinion um, at a meeting or at some table where I'm like the minority around the table, um, I realize that sometimes I'm not taken seriously or my opinion or perspective is not accepted um, as easily if I don't provide some kind of citation or oh. <laughs> if I don't start off my sentence with, actually, research says, blah, blah, wow. blah. Um, and like, despite all my years of education and experience, I um, have experienced that as an Asian American female leader and probably a female leaders in general experience this too, that sometimes I wasn't seen as being credible enough mm. um, unless I directly stated like, you know, all my degrees or like showed my business card with all my degrees or something wow. like that. But I think that Asian American female leaders are such an asset to organizations because, mm. okay, so I am the first oldest child in my family. I'm married to my husband, Dave, who's the youngest of three. Both of our families are Korean American families. Um, his family, my husband's, is much more traditional um, in terms of their uh, expression of the Korean culture and their desire to see those expressions. What that means for me as somebody married into that kind of you know, traditional Korean culture family is that every week when I see my mother-in-law, I actually enter into a space where I have no power because I'm the second daughter-in-law in the family. Um, my husband has an older brother. And so his wife is the first daughter-in-law and they have more power in the family. And then me being the second daughter-in-law, I have like absolutely no power. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I shift from being a senior director of staff and partnerships at Fuller Youth Institute, where I'm on the, basically the executive team right. at the Fuller Youth Institute with a lot of power um, to spaces in my own family with no power at all. So I know what it's like. My lived experience is I know what it's like to have power and I know what it's like to not have power. And so I think in organizations like Asian American female leaders, as we have these kinds of experiences shifting on the power spectrum, like we add so much value to spaces because we can empathize 
with those in power as well as those without power mm. in organizations. And so I think for me, um, that just highlights our ability to be really influential bridge builders across different power dynamics and organizations. And what I also realize is that people actually like desire leaders like us in organizations. So I think our leadership style is valued and needed. And we need to figure out a way to make sure that we uh, continue to hold leadership positions and influence in organizations so that we can really help organizations change and become places of flourishing. So, um, yeah, I would say despite the painful experiences or sort of the negative ones that could have been miseducative for me in my own leadership journey, or maybe deformative. Um, I feel like God has really used those to really help me reflect on my own identity as an Asian American woman um, in different spaces and led me to the conclusion that, oh my gosh, because of the ways in which we traverse and like facilitate and move through and shift, as leaders then in organizations, um, we become this valuable gift and asset. And I think more people um, need to realize that about us. Mm. That's the that's first time I've heard that apply to like an organizational perspective. Um, I have heard of like Asian Americans being this like in this liminal space and theological spaces, like just practically speaking, like we are in groups with many people of color, but also for whatever reason, we're given um, this fake, I mean, I say fake with a great emphasis because it's not quite equal um, status with white people as well sometimes. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, we do have positions of power, but also positions of being not in power as well. Yeah. I think you like worded so well with your example with your mother-in-law. Yeah. I hope to maybe have that be an encouragement for other Asian women, Asian Americans in ministry who feel like they're constantly victimized. I mean, I want to be totally... Uh, honest and like validate those experiences as well, but also realize like, oh, there's some power we have that we can leverage here to benefit our, you know, our communities, yeah. um, our our fellow sisters of color. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing that, Yuli. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know, admit that I'm a cup half full kind of person. <laughs> um, so I do have this positive perspective uh, on life and experiences. So I want to just admit that um, in my sharing of my reflections. But um, yes, mm -hmm. um, I do think that, um, and as sisters, uh, we can do a better job of helping one another. I definitely think that is an area across the board in terms of women in leadership um, that we can do a better job in. Yeah. Um, so as you know, this podcast is uh, primarily for other AAPI women and also Latina faith leaders um, yeah. who might be struggling actually with like their ministries, with the organizations they work in um, to mm. truly live out their call. And I was wondering if you had any stories, inspirational stories or advice for these women who are like wondering if they should stay within like their organizations or not, like how they might inspire change. Hmm. Or maybe it's, I don't know, maybe there are times that they should pull out as well. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's a very challenging and good question. Um, I, a question that I get a lot from other people I mentor. Uh, mm -hmm. 
the question of, you know, how long, Yuli, (laughs) (laughs) should I persevere in this organization? Um, And gosh, I always like to tell people it's going to vary. I ask the question, you know, how long do you want to be committed to this organization? Mm. That the answer to that question uh, changes how I give advice. Um, But that's a really important question because that commitment to an organization is going to influence uh, the kind of change and the depth of change that you want to drive. Mm. So, for example, um, there was a time when I entered in an organization and immediately in the first two months, I knew that I wasn't going to be here long (laughs) Um, because of just, you know, we all have those experiences when the red flags come up real quick and you're like, oh, okay. Like, thank you, God, for showing me that really fast. Um, But because you just started, um, you know, and we all have this narrative of like, okay, but I can't quit in one year. Can I? I don't really Mm -hmm. know. I had an experience like that where I knew right away that I wasn't going to be able to last long. So then immediately, because I um, I self-identify as a change leader, immediately I thought to myself, okay, um, I need to really figure out which battles I'm willing to fight and which ones Mm -hmm. are not worth it or not helpful for the organization because I'm not going to even be here long enough to see it through. So ultimately, for the sake of the people in this institution, um, like what is actually loving that I can introduce and disrupt and what is not? Um, Because I always want to leave a place better than I found it. Um, So um, I think that commitment question is super important to ask oneself. And if you feel called to an organization or church or ministry for, you know, 10 plus years, then that changes your change strategy. Um, and I know I have so many friends like that who have went through really painful experiences in their organizations. And from my perspective, I'm always like, oh my gosh, I would have been out of there, sister. (laughs) But from their perspective, (laughs) they feel super convicted that this is the place that God is continuing to call them to be. And so in those cases, I would advise first to take care of your health and your body and to make sure that you have a community of people who can be your allies and confidants um, outside of your church or ministry organization so that you can have avenues to process and to be encouraged um, and to have life-giving relationships for you. Um, Mm. And I also realized that in organizations that have a lot of pain in them, there is, there is also light. There is like this like faithful remnant that is also exists in these kinds of organizations where, um, gosh, I've prayed for these kinds of little tiny pockets of people or even just one person, God, I would pray sometimes. Yes. Like, can you mm-hmm. show me that one person in this organization or church who will be so encouraging, will, you know, give me that extra motivation, et cetera. And those, um, 
you know, moments of prayer and asking and pleading and begging, Mm -hmm. um, God has often shown himself um, to me in those moments. Um, And so, yeah, make sure you have that community of people outside your org, but then pray for those one or two pockets um, within your organization. And then, you know, if you're thinking about leading change, because you're experiencing pain, a lot of Mm -hmm. times we want to then flip that and, you know, work for justice or work for flourishing or shalom because we're not experiencing that ourselves. And so if that's the case and you want to lead change, um, gosh, I would um, always advise to take that relational loving approach to really sit down with key leaders, influential people um, in your church or ministry, and to just have those conversations of, um, hey, you know, tell me more about your own experience in this church or in this ministry. Um, have you found that this experience of this pain And so that's a way for you to sort of introduce your own pain without uh, being accusing of the entire organization. Mm, Um, Have you also, like, what do you think about this particular pain um, that I'm currently holding? Because I feel like um, asking questions in and of itself, like that's actually an intervention. Mm, Yes. That right question can really change the trajectory of somebody's thinking. And so I would encourage um, our friends and sisters to really start out with those dialogues and questions and seeking those, um, building those relationships inside the organization. I know that's going to be hard Mm -hmm. um, because (laughs) there are people you want to stay away from as well. (laughs) Yes, <laughs> which I totally get. <laughs> so maybe not start with those people, but maybe seek out, um, you know, direction from God about who might be maybe surprising people you've never talked to who, mm. you know, God might be wanting you to talk to in this moment. Wow. So much wisdom. Again, like this is the first time I'm hearing someone say like, go talk to someone about whether they've experienced the same thing. Like you might be surprised. <laughs> Maybe that's because I don't go to enough change workshops, but um, thank you so much, Julie. Like that is like golden for our listeners to hear. And I'm sure oh, for many who are still thinking about those questions about how to lead change or stay in their organization. I already feel so empowered by this episode, Julie, like your attitude of um, you called it like positive attitude about change. I do feel like a lot more uplifted now, and, like less cynical. And that motivates <laughs> me to work more towards change too. If I actually believe that it does happen, even if we don't see the fruit of it. Um, thank you so much, Yuli. Yeah, no, I'm so glad that if I can hear that coming from every person I speak with, like they're they're super motivated and excited to lead change. I mean, That's like a dream come true. So thanks, Miriam, for (laughs) taking that in and for being inspired. If you'd like to support Isaac and producing this podcast, our overall mission of supporting AAPI Women Ministers, you can donate to Isaac at isaacweb.org.